Hello everyone. This is Dr. I and I am with Dr. Joe and we are looking out the window again. How you doing, Dr. Joe? I'm doing just great on this sunny morning on the last day of Black History Month. I'm sorry, the last Saturday in our last show of Black History Month. And it's been a um, very enlightening month, at least for uh, the people that listen to the window, because we've covered a lot of topics that black people have perfected and introduced to the world. And um, today we are going to talk about a topic that is near and dear to many of our hearts, and that is the HBCU, the Historically Black College Institutions Across the Nation. And um, we have in the studio with us, um, what should I say about this? He's a superstar. He, he grew up in Columbus and um, graduated from HBCU and um, just has been a community advocate leader in his entire life. And now he is the Area De Development Director for the United Negro College Fund. And, but that's just one of his many accomplishments. He's a Wilberforce graduate. He's worked with a numerous nonprofits and that just seems to be in his blood. So welcome Stephen Miller to the window. Dr. I, thank you for having me. I was a little confused when you started your introduction. I didn't know who you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's a blessing to be here with you. Uh, and uh, your reputation precedes you with your greatness and passion. And uh, we're just excited to share uh, why HBCUs are so important and the work that United Negro College Fund has done for more than 77 years. I was also thinking about my past and when my father and mother came down to Fisk, where I went to school for two years, for homecoming, and I was an Ivy at the time. So I was sitting, I couldn't really participate in the activities. I could sit with my parents, but I was pledging at the time. So I was sitting there and my dad was watching these floats go by and all these beautiful women on these floats. And he looked at me, he said, I wanna see you up there next year. And I said, uh, I don't know if I can arrange that, Dad. I'm, I'm just a, a freshman here. But some of the most talented, most beautiful, intelligent men and women were at Fisk University. And I, I will never forget that experience. Um, it's, it's, it's can't be duplicated. It is irreplaceable, the pride that you feel when you are sitting in a bleacher at an HBCU football game. Can't duplicate it. Uh, the HBCU experience uh, is one that has been very special for generations in many families. And uh, you mentioned your Ivy experience. Uh, you know, my mother was uh, AKA and uh, also wanna say rue to all the men of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, Mu Iota, Steve Miller 517 and uh, the history and legacy of HBCUs has borne thousands millions of talented college educated 
uh, leaders in our country and it's an opportunity that we want to make sure that young people know is available that there are people in history and institutions that were designed and built uh, for them to be successful uh, it's uh, it's very interesting if you know the history of the 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 moniker of historically black colleges uh, even though the first HBCU uh, was founded and opened back in 1839 we did not receive the historically black college moniker from the federal government until uh, President uh, Johnson. So what does that mean? It, it just means that uh, the government decided that uh, they wanted to support separate educational opportunity for African Americans but we could not exclude Europeans even though we had been excluded from attending their colleges. But God knows that we take negative things and work it for our good. And uh, that's the power and the history of historically black colleges. Uh, and I'm a Wilberforce graduate and, and proud to have that experience. Even though I originally attended a PWI, played college basketball, was injured, couldn't complete my college matriculation at that time. What's PWI, please? Predominantly white institution. Oh, okay, thank you. So, um, and we, we say that endearingly and, and politically correctly. So, but the, the power and beauty and majesty of historically black colleges is that the 37 member institution that UNCF supports were all primarily church-based and started by church organizations. Though we support our 103 historically black colleges, uh, UNCF also provides funding for any student to attend any school that they choose, any accredited two or four year university. So uh, though the HBCU and the member HBCU story and history are what we primarily focus on, but we do provide funds for kids to go wherever they want. So uh, my grand, both my grandfathers attended historically black colleges. Both my parents attended West Virginia State Institute West Virginia where I was born uh, and as a proud graduate of Wilberforce I'm third generation and if God made a way for me uh, there's a way for many many other young people to fulfill their dream to go to and through college. Now you are the area director for UNCF. What is the area that you represent and tell us about the mission and the programs under the moniker of United Negro College Fund. Um, as the area development director for this uh, region, I cover all of Ohio and Kentucky. So that means uh, Lexington, Louisville, Cleveland, Akron, Canton, um, Columbus, Cincinnati, Dayton. Uh, and we uh, have a number of programs that uh, we support. Uh, and just to kind of give you some, some numbers, uh, over the last three years uh, in our area, we've raised maybe $7 million. Uh, last year, we raised about a million and a half. And of that million and a half, uh, half a million of that went to Central Ohio students. And we raised that money through a number of ways. We have, uh, as you know, uh, our mayor's virtual luncheon or, or luncheon. We just had that 
and uh, we have the largest UNCF mayor's luncheon in the, in the United States. We raised two hundred thousand dollars this year. Last year we raised about one hundred and eighty. The year before that we raised about one hundred and fifty. Mayor Ginther has been an amazing supporter of that, uh, and those funds support local students. Uh, we just finished the Cleveland mayor's luncheon. We raised this yesterday. We raised a hundred thousand dollars there, uh, and uh, we just. Um, confirm that we're going to be doing Toledo for the first year uh, on uh, the first Friday in May. So we do the mayor's luncheon, which is an unrestricted opportunity uh, that supports our operations here, uh, our headquarters operations, and allows us to provide biannual stipends to our 37-member institutions like Wilberforce. Though Central State uh, is an HBCU, uh, all those schools are state-funded. So Wilberforce and the other 37 members don't receive state and federal funds. They're private schools. Uh, but we still support all students in all historically black colleges. So uh, from an unrestricted standpoint, the Mayor's Luncheon and our Walk for Education that we do uh, end of September has been a big, big opportunity for us. We've done it at Wolf Park for many years. Uh, this year will be our 39th year coming up. Hopefully we'll be able to do that in person. The last couple of years has been virtual uh, where we have over a thousand people participate in that uh, but the what we've been most successful since i've been with uncf in the last four years is our restricted opportunities where we provide scholarships and internships that really allow corporate partners to receive a different level of return on investment because uh, workforce diversity has been a prime um, motivator for corporations to say look in order for us to grow we need more diversity um, we understand that there's talent in the marketplace and we need to identify recruit and retain more minority students to join our organization so uh, our scholarships and internships allow corporations to invest in uncf invest in young people so they can identify talent uh, so they can go to and through college from a high school senior to a freshman, freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, internship and junior year, go back to school, graduate, and then potentially have an opportunity to join an organization uh, in the workforce. Uh, so those are our primary scholarship opportunities, restricted and unrestricted, but we have a number of programs that are led by our headquarters office in Washington, D.C. with our president, Dr. Michael Lomax, uh, student professional development. We have a leadership uh, development program. We have a student conference. We have a technology program. So we also asked any student that's interested in a scholarship at UNCF to go to www.uncf.org slash scholarships and create a student profile. And this allows them to identify uh, where they want to go to school, where they want, what they want to study. Of course, you have to fill out the government FAFSA form. And about 60% of the students that we provide financial aid for are FAFSA eligible. Um, and you know, there's, there's so many different opportunities now for kids to go to college and not have to pay the application fee. There's a UNCF or, excuse me, HBCU has a one app. It's only $20. You can apply for all HBCUs for $20. Uh, there's also waivers that are available for students to apply for colleges outside of HBCUs. So 
there's really no excuse for a student that has an interest in going to college not to be able to go and receive some sort of financial aid. So you know, over the last 77 years, UNCS raised over $5 billion. We've supported over 60,000 students uh, across 1,200 colleges. Uh, we've awarded uh, about 10,000 scholarships a year uh, worth over $100 million. So we administer about 400 scholarship programs. Uh, as I said, through our internship, faculty development, um, and we also provide, uh, through our headquarters, through the Frederick K. Patterson uh, organization, K through 12 advocacy. So it's not just college scholarships. You know, we're involved in advocacy at the state level, the federal level, to impact uh, policy to make sure that our schools stay strong, our students have opportunities. So uh, it's it's probably the biggest secret, you know, in our community. Everybody remembers, you know, Lou Rawls and the, mm -hmm. his. Uh, uh, the telethon and the the logo a mind's a terrible thing mm -hmm. to waste uh, which is a great brand for us but I'm amazed at the number of people that don't know that we give scholarships for kids to go anywhere you know last year here in Columbus we scholarship more kids to go to Ohio State than we did any HBCU so from a fundraising standpoint that helps us but also it should uh, let families know and students know that the opportunity is going to be there wherever they want to go, whatever they want to study. And we have corporations that are interested in students that have specific skill sets, like, you know, the healthcare industry is thirsty for the talent. Technology uh, is thirsty for talent. You know, we just did a scholarship with DeVry for the first time uh, for certificate programs, which is a non-traditional college, mm -hmm. but you can go to DeVry and be making eighty thousand dollars in after 18 months mm -hmm. um we also have done scholarship with battelle uh, battelle is the largest research center in the world headquartered here in columbus and they're recruiting kids from all over the country and sending them all over the country um we've done a scholarship with papa john's down in louisville um they're interested in students who want to be business owners mm -hmm. uh, also uh, we've we've worked with many many other corporate partners here locally and in the two-state area that I'm in that really want to tell their story and try to help kids who want to go to college come to work for them because the competition for minority talent is very, very tough. Yeah, everybody's got a DE&I department now. Yes, and all DE&I departments are not equal. Oh, I know. <laughs> all I know. corporations say that they're interested in it mm -hmm. and some are very interested in it and some just have a name have a yeah, title right. on it but yeah. but you know we we approach all of them and try to give them information opportunity uh, about the the talent the mission that we have to help them be very successful you know as a side note um, and i know you're well aware of this but procter and gamble down in cincinnati they kind of pioneered this whole issue of supplier diversity mm -hmm. uh, and they found out 40 years ago that different people like different stuff. And if you focus on those people, they'll buy more of your stuff. Mm -hmm. So they segregated their marketing, their whole organization, and they understand that diversity equals financial gain. 
and other organizations are following. So as we talk to corporations that if you really want diversity, you really understand, you know that it is good for business, it's, it's good for the community. Uh, and you know we are the, lar- the second largest provider of financial aid for minority students in the country, only second to the federal government. So Wow, that's a lot of money. A lot of money. Um, we have about three minutes before we take the break. And I said in the beginning that the UNCF or the historically black college experience is irreplaceable. Absolutely. What are the unique um, benefits for a black student to come out of a predominantly white institution and go to Fisk or Wilberforce? Well, and I think that every school is not for everybody, but what the HBCU experience provides in our 103 schools across the country, first and foremost, is a level of cultural competence that you can't get at a larger PWI. Uh, people there look like you. People there have had similar experiences you. Um, smaller classes, more personalized uh, attention. Uh, they, they get to engage with uh, professors like Dr. I. Uh, they really understand where they've been, what they need to do. Uh, and you can get some of that, boy, come over here. Where you been? Why didn't you go to class? You know, that kind of thing. It's very important just to help our kids get through. Um, that's, that's the key. Also, from an investment standpoint, our schools are generally about half the cost. And also, our graduation rates at our historically black college are ahead of PWIs. So if I was a corporate partner or a parent and I'm helping somebody go to college, I'd rather pay half and get more. So that in and of itself uh, is, is an opportunity. But just the camaraderie, the, the lifetime friendships, the whole uh, Panhellenic experience mm-hmm. with fraternity and sororities, that, that breeds a whole nother level of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. Uh, but, but but also, as you mentioned earlier, uh, you go to an HBCU event, a football game, mm-hmm. and, and please... Party it, over here. God, God bless all the brothers that play football, but people don't go to HBCU football games Mm-mm. and watch the game. They no. go to watch the band. That's right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's... You know, I lived in Atlanta for 18 years before I came back to Columbus and uh, was a member of 100 Black Men there. And we, we sponsored uh, the 100 Black Men game and, and the Battle of the Bands. And that experience is just to see a, a stadium full of black people. Uh, you know, I just came back from the NBA All-Star game last weekend. Mm-hmm. UNCF had a role uh, there and they had the HBCU game where Howard played uh, Morgan State. And it was just... The, the atmosphere, the environment, no fuss, no fighting, just black love mm-hmm. and black excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the power. Now, again, that doesn't diminish, you know, an African-American student who goes to Ohio State or Harvard or Yale or Cincinnati. Uh, there's educational opportunities there. And th- there are some organizations in a community of sense to support students. But you can't beat an HBCU experience. No, you can't. And not only that, I saw role models 
that I had never seen in my little community of Evansville, Indiana, which is at the tip of the boot. And you're just a minority. You just don't have that opportunity to see people in those kind of positions. We've got to take a quick break. We've got so much to talk about with some very talented people today. And we will be right back on the window with an administrator from Central State University. Be right back. Dr. Joe, are you there? Yes. Okay, well, let's go. Let's keep it rolling. Okay, I am here. You know, United Negro College Fund was actually my first job. We broadcast live out of Columbus, Ohio, and my mom worked at the UNCF area office in Columbus. And so, as a high schooler, I was first exposed to the concept of United Negro College Fund schools. My sister, my oldest sister, was a graduate of Howard University, so I had been to an HCU, but I'm very, very um, supportive of UNCF and all you do, so thank, thank you. you very much. As Dr. I said before the break, we thought it would be very important to talk to someone who's actually boots on the ground at an HBCU and involved in the day-to-day operations. And so we're so delighted to bring on the line now the Interim Vice President of Student Affairs and Dean of Students at Central State University in Wilberforce, Ohio. As we talked about earlier in this show, Central State University and other HBCUs around the country aren't all funded by UNCF, but they all have the very rich tradition that you talked about. So Dean Therese Stevenson, has been in higher education for more than 20 years. She's been in various roles at Central State University. Listen to all that's under her purview, and that helps you understand, too, that an HBCU experience and a college experience is, of course, about academics, but there's so much involved in shaping a student's life. So Dean Stevenson has the the responsibility for the university departments of the Health and Wellness Center, academic empowerment and accessibility, career services, leadership and engagement, counseling services, the Office of Violence Against Women, which we wish didn't have to exist, residence life, conduct and community standards. Academic excellence, of course, is the standard, but culture is embraced. She's quick to tell us culture is embraced and celebrated, and her role is to support and encourage students in all aspects of their campus life. So, Dean Stevenson, thank you for your time, and welcome to the window. I'm delighted to be here with you um, today, so thank you for the invitation. I always accept any opportunity to share the wonderful things that are going on at Central State University. Now, since we're giving shout-outs to the Divine Nine, the nine Mm -hmm. historically black fraternities and sororities, I will mention that Dean Stevenson is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority, um, as as Dr. I and I are as well. We also give shout-outs, though. To the other very, very worthy sororities who are our friends and our sisters. Dean Stevenson, let's talk about the concept of an HBCU, historically black college and university. I'm, I'm going to emphasize the historically black. Again, this is the last Saturday in Black History Month as we record this show. Talk to us about the historical significance of HBCUs from your perspective. 
Well, I think it's important that we not only understand the historical importance of HBCUs and why they were founded, the, um, the mission they serve, the students that they serve, the communities, um, not just the students that they serve and the families um, that they serve, but I also think it's important to highlight opportunities that allow for um, particularly African Americans to attend college when that opportunity did not exist before. I also think it's important that we recognize the um, physical structures that they sit on. At Central State University, um, Wilberforce was a part of the Underground Railroad, and there were actually seven Underground Railroad stations in Wilberforce. And so Central State University actually sits along that um, Underground Railroad journey. And so I like to remind students that they are living the hope, the prayer, the dream, and the wish of those uh, over 40,000 escaped slaves who came through that area seeking freedom, that hopefully one day their um, descendants would be able to go to school and to learn and to learn how to read and write and, and have opportunities that they could not have. So I think it's important to remind students of not only the educational and academic aspects of it, but the physical aspects of it as well. You know, um, the Morrill Act of 1890 is what allowed for HBCUs to be funded. It was a law that said for every public institution that was funded, a college must be funded and established to educate African Americans or escaped slaves. But what they didn't say is equitable funding. So although many schools were opened, many closed because of um, inequities in the funding. And so those that are still thriving today, um, I, we need to pay homage and continue to uphold and support them because they were able to transcend um, the unfortunate um, structure to try to eliminate the opportunities for um, African-Americans to be educated. So um, I am honored to be a part of the Central State family and a part of an HBCU experience. I, too, come from a family of HBCU graduates. Um, I have people in my family graduated from Hampton University. My father attended Virginia Union University, and my mother attended Winston-Salem State. And so they are, I come from a long line of, of HBCU graduates and proud graduates. Great. So fast forward now to the year 2022. We talked in the first half of the show about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the fact that there's a new wokeness, if you will, about the importance of inclusion. So consistent with that, you hear people now pushing back, talking about reverse discrimination. Is it discriminatory to have universities that promote themselves as being all black? No, um, actually, no, not at all. So we have institutions in this country that have a focus. So there are schools that are founded with a focus um, rooted in the Jewish faith, some in um, the Lutheran or Methodist, Presbyterian, or even Catholic faith. We have schools, we have tribal universities that focus on educating Native Americans and indigenous Americans too, um, but also not utilizing the Western um, history throughout their curriculum. We also have Hispanic-serving institutions, or HSIs, who focus on 
um, the education of Latinx communities and serving those particular communities and families. So there is no discrimination with HBCUs. I think one of the challenges people have is that those institutions have thrived for so long um, and they have such a rich um, history and illustrious graduates who've gone on to do great things in the world. And um, sometimes we don't always get our props to that as I like to tell the students, but uh, I do believe that being an HBCU does not feed into um, discrimination or discriminatory practices. Additionally, many of the HBCUs are state institutions. So you do not have to be black in order for uh, a descendant or African um, dysphoria to attend an HBCU. We actually have um, a group of Russian students who are attending um, our institution. And because Central State is going global, we have students in China who are taking classes online. So we want to make sure that students are having the full HBCU experience, even if they're not on campus physically, and even if they're not descendants from the African dysphoria. And so always there are folks who push back not only with words, but people who push back in terms of deviant actions. We've read in the news lately about bomb threats being made on HBCUs. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so um, unfortunately some HBCUs have experienced some bomb threats being made, um, threatening to blow up particular buildings or threatening their community. Um, at Central State University, we have not received a bomb threat. Um, thank God, but we are prepared. Um, we go through um, exercises to make sure that we are trained to properly respond to any incident that may occur, whether that's violence or weather um, or um, anything that's happening globally. So although those are happening at some of the HBCUs, we, as HBCUs, we have banded together, um, trading information about what is it, um, what they're doing in their areas so that we can have best practices among the HBCUs. But um, in my conversations with other administrators at other HBCUs um, and working with them, they too have a strong um, emergency plan that they will follow. And we are working closely with all our local and federal government agencies. Um, and so our chief of police, um, Stephanie Hill, has done an amazing job of making sure we're connected with all those agencies that can be of support to us. And I know other HBCUs are doing the same as well. It's unfortunate that that has to happen. Um, Dean Stevenson, in your role, again, your your focus is on the holistic experience for students. So, of course, we hear about the HBCU bands that we just talked about. In fact, <laughs> earlier this morning, I got a text message from a friend asking me to remind her what HBCU our high school band director came from. It was Florida A&M. I asked her why she was asking, and apparently there was a special on ESPN that ran this morning about HBCU bands. So I would assume if it ran this morning, there might be repeats. So everyone look out for that. If you've never experienced an HBCU band, an HBCU homecoming, as we've said, you've missed a treat. But let's get back to academics. I'm going mm -hmm. to assume that some of the students, maybe most of the students, I don't know, who come to HBCUs might be first-generation college students. Talk mm -hmm. to us about the process of just 
getting a student ready for the college experience and having them successfully graduate? Many of our students come from, our first-generation college students, they also may come from um, low-economic communities. Um, and so what we try to do is we have wraparound services. So we want students to come in and we want them to feel like not only can they succeed, but they will succeed. Um, and we have things in place to support them in that success. So within student affairs, um, we go and have dinner and lunch with the students. We remind them, we ask them, we get to know them on a personal level, ask them about their families. We tell them to keep in contact. We make sure that they're going to class so that knock at the door. Yes, that's us. We make sure we are um, supporting the academic side because the growth and development takes place both in and outside of the classroom. We want our students to have a high um, emotional intelligence, high cultural intelligence, social intelligence. So by offering opportunities for curricular and co-curricular helps to build those soft skills that will put them in a position to be able to soar in whatever career field they've chosen. And we want those students who are first-gens to know that they belong there. So we have programs in place. We have um, offices in place. And even some of our faculty and staff have shared with students that they, too, were first-generation college students and share with them some of the challenges that they had so that those students know they're not alone. The feelings that they're feeling are valid, but more importantly, that they can succeed. And there's an opportunity to do that at Central State and at many of the HBCUs as they support our students who, um, as first-generation college students, can't turn back to their families for support and guidance, but they receive that um, support and guidance from their support family and their college family on their campus. Dean Stevenson, it made me a little nervous when you said, you know, their families. Dr. I and I talk about the fact that we were raised in environments where somebody said, okay, I know your family. It made us straighten up. <laughs> wow, that's happening at the college level. That's intimidating, but that's so important. Um, we've also talked about, obviously, everything that you do takes money. And we've talked today about funding. And it's, it's no secret that Central State as is the case with other universities around the country and other HBCUs, had some pretty significant funding issues in the not-so-recent past, but recent enough that I'm assuming that there are still close eyes on the fiscal situation. Help us understand the funding base for a, an HBCU, especially one that doesn't get funding from an organization like United Negro College Fund. So because we are a state institution, we do receive some um, economic support and financial support from the state as well as the federal government. Um, but we also turn to corporations to assist us as well, whether that's with um, money to um, supply scholarships or to fund a particular program for technology or to offer internships or co-ops so our students are able to receive um, and participate in real experiences to help them as they persist. So it's an opportunity for us to reach out, but more importantly, we also use that opportunity in reaching out and requesting funding to share what it is that we are doing and the importance of HBCUs. Fortunately for us, we have companies that are reaching back and want to support us 
Um, Mr. Miller alluded to Procter & Gamble earlier in the conversation. They've been a wonderful supporter and one of our Central State alums, Cheryl um, Wright-Lavender, is actually um, an executive with Procter & Gamble. She's been very helpful in connecting us with Procter & Gamble. So their support has been um, wonderful. Fifth Third Bank has given us a lot of support. We worked with um, Clothes at Work. So we funded a closet that allows our students to go in and pick out professional attire so that when they're going on a job interview, they have the appropriate attire. They feel very confident in that attire. So whether that's a business suit or a portfolio or pearls for um, our young ladies who um, wear pearls. I mean, it's, it's wonderful how people are investing and how corporations and communities are investing in all of our HBCUs, especially during this time when social injustice has um, really been in the forefront, they're beginning to realize the wonderful contributions that many of our HBCUs and the HBCU graduates are making to our global community. And so what about alum? And, and we always like to, on our show, tell our listeners what they can do about the topics we discuss. So for those of you who are proudly wearing your HBCU t-shirts and sweatshirts and your sorority <laughs> and fraternity paraphernalia, what about alum and their role in giving back financially to their institutions? We always encourage um, alums and um, those who are affiliated with alums to give back both in time and treasure and talent. So giving your time back to the university, showing, you know, being a mentor to the students, um, coming back to campus and sharing their stories of success, how they were o- able to overcome some of the challenges. Um, all that is just reinvestment of the time back into the community. Of course, treasure, we love for people to donate, and you can even specify where you want your donation to go. If you prefer a scholarship, it can go directly to a scholarship. We have a uh, program on campus called Emerging Scholars where we help those students who are transitioning from foster care into um, independent living. If you wish to give to a program such as that, you can designate those dollars, but those dollars do help the students not only in their persistence, but providing solid programs that can help them through that persistence. And then also um, your talent. So if you are a graphic designer or you have um, you have contracting work or there's something you can do to give back to the community through your talent, um, we also encourage that as well. And we had a, um, a former faculty member who brought Ryan Speedo Green, who is an internationally renowned African-American opera singer. He actually came to Central State University. He was in town to do a concert, and he came to Central State University to do a master class, you know, entertaining and also um, helping our students. So students would perform, and he would give them critical feedback in that performance. But that was arranged to a faculty member who was an alum who took his talent, connected with another talent, and brought that talent to our campus. So those are just opportunities that exist as we hope, whether you're an alum or you uh, have an alum that you love or support, that you will turn back and give back your time, treasure, and talent back to our HBCUs as well. 
Thank you. Therese Stevenson, Interim Vice President of Student Affairs, Dean of Students at Central State University, one of more than 100 HBCUs around the country. Thank you for joining us today on The Window. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you. We are back on the window, and we are fortunate to have another HBCU graduate on the phone, a very successful real estate broker in the greater Atlanta market. Richard Smith III is here. He's originally from Detroit, Michigan, um, but he is in Atlanta now, and he has had a very um, successful career um, in sales and marketing but he started at Alabama State with a bachelor's degree in sociology so we're delighted to have him here are you here Richard as a matter of fact I am Dr. I thanks for having me oh we're delighted that you're here Mm -hmm. tell us how you got to Alabama State well interestingly enough Alabama State University was not my first college experience I attended just for one semester Uh, Chico State in uh, California and after that one semester I discovered that Chico State was not the stick for me (laughs) Uh, it was not Uh, it was a party school and even at 17 years old I had the wherewithal to realize that I couldn't get an education there Uh, so when I came back home I had been recruited by uh, one of the coaches from Alabama State And to be honest with you, in the living room of an Alabama State alum, he made a phone call to the coach, the athletic director, and also to the president of the university. And within an hour, convincing him and all parties involved that I would be an asset to the university, I had full scholarship. And that began my HBCU spirit. Um, You're breaking up a little bit, Richard. Um, the last part we heard was that you got a full scholarship based on some phone calls. Absolutely. Uh, you had to hook up. <laughs> and that was impressive in itself. If somebody in their living room could reach out to the president of the university, the athletic director, as well as the coach. And I had a full scholarship within one hour. Now, what about those four years? What, what, what did that do? to Richard Smith to prepare him for the future? Uh, Well, it it provided me with a lot of different lessons. And and first and foremost, under the auspices of going to a university, getting a college education, uh, at HBCU, you are actually with family. And a lot of this, and I'll speak for myself, I needed that sort of surrogate family uh, to make the transition from Detroit for my family to a university almost 800 miles away. Uh, So a lot of my college professors were actually instrumental in the civil rights movement, being right there in Montgomery, Alabama. They instilled leadership, community responsibility, um, as well as providing me with a true historical fact about black history. And so... um while you were at Alabama State, other than sports, 
What other kinds of lessons did you learn being on campus? Well, being on campus, first and foremost, it afforded me the opportunity to become uh, very social, uh, interactive. Uh, a lot of my college professors, as I indicated, were instrumental in the civil rights movement, so it afforded me the opportunity to piggyback on their experiences, and I became um, heavily involved within the community of Montgomery, Alabama, rubbing shoulders with some of the people who were instrumental in the, in the movement, such as E.B. Nixon, um, learning some of the more historical facts as opposed to the fallacy of uh, the historical significance of the civil rights movement. Uh, so those things were, you know, they were, they, were, they were so instrumental in molding me as a person uh, after living in Montgomery for the four years and getting my education. I actually worked within the city in the court system for another six years. So a total of 10 years I resided in Alabama. And so as you're through your lens as an HBCU graduate, how do you view the um, experience that black students are having today on on uh, historically black college campuses? Is, is that anything like what you went through in your mind? Oh, absolutely. We still maintain the same type of um, significance then as we do now, and even more so now than ever before, because we need those encouragements. We, we need to see leadership that looks like us. We need to promote uh, the black history. Uh, we need more of that now than ever before because it appears as though mainstream America continues to ostracize you know, uh, people of color. And we always need to be reminded who we are. And as far as I know of, it continues to be the case. HBCU provides that um, that emphasis. Yes. Um, um, do you have any advice for parents that might be considering sending their their students to school at an HBCU? Uh, the advice that I would I would give uh, uh, parents is to go to visit the campus to do your due diligence, do not hesitate, because first and foremost, they'll get a, a very formidable, uh, well-rounded education. Uh, they'll have the social skills necessary to go out in the world and be productive citizens. Uh, it has led, led me along a route uh, that really allowed me to spread my wings as an entrepreneur, uh, because I was given that freedom at Alabama State University, and I may not have been given that encouragement and or freedom anywhere else. I, I am a first-generation um, college graduate, but it has paved the way for my daughter and now my grandson <laughs> to attend a university, if not HBCU. But it has given them an opportunity through my lens to get a college education. And now you are successful as a real estate broker in Atlanta, the, the uh, metro Atlanta area. And you have your, um, your antique business there. And certainly sales and social networking has been a part of your success, which I assume you got from Alabama State. Well, not only from Alabama State, it enhanced it for certain. 
Uh, but for my parents and my grandparents, I was reared primarily by my grandparents and a single mother. And they encouraged me to actually spread my wings, uh, to get out and venture and to do what was necessary to make me happy and satisfied. Uh, but it was, in fact, uh, solidified and encouraged by professors in, at, at Alabama State University. Yes. So as we um, kind of wrap up our discussion, please give the audience a means to contact you in case they want to buy some real estate down in the Atlanta market. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I can certainly be contacted by the cell phone, which is area code 770-235-7234. And also I can be reached by Richard Doc Smith Third at metrobrokers.com. And I'd be more than happy to assist. Okay. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be recorded so people could come back and, and pick that up too. So um, we've got about three minutes left. And we just had um, a student come in, a graduate from UNCF, just made it just in time. So I'm going to let Stephen Miller introduce her to the audience. Uh, well, thank you, Dr. I. Um, and Richard, want to thank you for your inspiration uh, and your, your message. Uh, we have a young lady, Cindy, who uh, was a graduate of... She went to UD, but she was a recipient of a UNCF scholarship. She's an amazing young lady. She was featured in uh, one of our UNCF programs. And I think she has uh, valuable experience to share with our audience today so cindy hi thanks for having me dr i yes well yes my name is sydney um i went to um, the university of dayton it is a pwi so i cannot personally attest to um the hbcu experience however it was nice to um do different type of outreach op have outreach opportunities with um, the community in Dayton and actually um, Central State and Wilberforce is not too far away from UD so there were lots of times where mm -hmm. I got to go to UD or go to those HBCUs and I got to see um, the cultural difference between the two you know at UD we had um, a pretty small black population but we were close-knit we all knew each other um, we all knew each other we all grew close together but it's not the same type type of love and um, looking out on all levels as I saw when I went to Central State and Wilberforce, um, you know, just to visit and have fun with some friends. Um, one thing I did do a lot, though, as we, I joined um, the first black sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, while I was there. Good and, move, good move. <laughs> <laughs> and um, one of our targets is an HBC, HBCU for life. So we did lots of HBCU um, type of events at our PWI. And I thought that was really important because, you know, people who are not in our community may not understand the depth and how important and influential HBCUs are for black students. So we've done lots of different things like have HBCU Jeopardy. We've watched episodes of a different world and just kind of talked about what are some things that you notice that, you know, you may not see a UD, but they do happen at HBCUs. Um, we've even had pop-up tables where we would sell treats and have HBCU facts for them with them. So we've done a lot of stuff. I think that, you know, like I said, although I didn't go to an HBCU, I think it was really important for 
us to do our part on a PWI's campus to just kind of raise awareness to what HBCUs are and how important they are. Thank you. If somebody wants to contribute to UNCF, can you give them an address or a phone number, some contact information? Because I think that's important, We that we support our institutions. Absolutely. Uh, you can go to www.uncf.org slash Columbus Give. Uh, and you can also call our office at 614-221-5309. But uh, that website goes directly to our Central Ohio office and support local minority students who want to go to and through college. And with that, we ask all of our listeners to remember a mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Dr. Joe, you have some parting comments? I just sense our listeners are all around the country. If they want to get to UNCF in their neck of the woods, how would they do that? Just uncf.org. Uh, and they can, there's a donation page on our site. Uh, and they can memorialize a gift or they can designate a gift. And uh, we just have local gift sites for our cities in, in Ohio and Kentucky. But nationally, uncf.org. And uh, we will graciously and gladly accept any donation because every dollar counts. Thank you. We're closing out Black History Month, Dr. I. But join us next week and every other week. We celebrate Black History all year long. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Uh, we want to thank um, Dean, is it Dean Stevenson, Dr. Joe? Correct. Dean That's Stevenson right. uh, for joining us and, and Mr. Smith, who's one of the top brokers in Atlanta real estate, and certainly Sydney. Sydney is one of my favorite young women. Um, as a matter of fact, she babysat my grandson for years, and I am just delighted that she's here. So. Thank you all for joining us for Black History Month. We all have something to be proud of, and let's demonstrate that to our community. Have an enjoyable Saturday, and we will. And also, we you can go and give us comments, Dr. Joe. What's that email address for us? Yes, you can talk to us before, during, or after the show at our Gmail address, thewindowfeedback@gmail.com. And you can listen to the recording of this show and all of our 50 prior shows from the past year on our website, thewindownow.com, thewindownow.com. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day, and we will see you next Saturday on The Window.